So for the past two weeks, we've been studying, uh, I think it was two weeks, uh, we've been studying the Didache. The Didache is an ancient Christian document that was written in the first or second century um, that had um, written in it uh, what's called the teachings of the apostles. It was not written by the apostles because this was after the, the time of the apostles, but it was based on the teachings of the apostles and the teachings that have been in the church from the very beginning um, that were all compiled and written down in what is considered a manual or kind of a, a guide to um, the different churches. As the church began to spread, of course, there wasn't easy communication between all of the churches, so they began to, um, they wrote this, and so they could distribute it to the different churches so they could all have the same faith and understanding um, of, 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 um, of how the church should be and, the, and various things, including the rights of the church, different teachings of the church, and so on. So um, it was divided into three parts. The first part um, was speaking about general spiritual principles, about how we should choose the path of life that God places before us, the path of life and the path of death, and that we should choose life. This was the first part, speaking about general like Christian virtues, um, spiritual life, and so on. The second part was focusing on uh, rituals, certain rites of the church, like how baptism would be done and communion and certain prayers that should be said after communion and so on. And then the third part that we're going to discuss today is um, instructions for the clergy um, and, and, and teachings regarding false teachers. So um, as we mentioned at the end last time, uh, the, the, the problem of false teachers was, um, was very ubiquitous in the early church because there were people who were coming and claiming that they were teachers of the church. They were sent by um, the church in order to teach, but they could be false teachers or they had wrong motives or they were seeking money or, or recognition in themselves and their, their motivation was not a pure one that they want to teach the word of God. And so um, there's uh, instructions included here that we're going to talk about, about how to determine if a person who is coming is a false teacher or not. And so this is instructions that were given to the clergy. How is it that the clergy of the different churches um, that, are, that are reading this are going to be able to know how is it that we should teach, how we should treat these visitors that are coming to visit the church um, and, and deal with them in the, in the right way. So in chapter 11, it's about rules for receiving the apostles and the prophets. He says, in, reg in regard to apostles and prophets, Act according to the doctrine of the gospel. Let every apostle who comes to you be received as the Lord, but he shall not remain more than one day. But if necessary, let him remain a second day. But if he stays for three, he is a false prophet. And when the apostle departs, let him take only enough bread to last until he reaches shelter. But if he asks for money, he is a false prophet. So this maybe is interesting or maybe even a little strange for us to hear that you have a person who is coming, who is considering themselves and saying that they are an apostle, okay? Um, and, and then he says, if they, rem if they stay, if they remain with you, like they're going to visit a church, if they go and remain with you in that church for more than one day or more than two days, right? If they stay three days, then he is a false prophet. So why do you think that is? Why would it be that if someone chose to stay three days, that they're a false prophet? Actually, you know, his, his, his eminence, Metropolitan Yusuf, whenever he comes and visits St. Paul, he stays in Houston for more than three days uh, and, uh, and he visits the people, right? So, like, why don't we consider him to be a false apostle or false prophet if he's staying for more than three days?
Okay, well, yeah, so obviously we know that he is the bishop or the metropolitan, so we don't have to question that. But what is what is wrong with one of these teachers coming and staying for three days? Yeah, yes. Okay, so w what would be a reason why someone would go? Now, keep in mind, like, these these people are traveling long distances, right? And they don't have, like, a place where they can just go and stay easily. So, and what is the purpose of the prophet or the purpose of the apostle? Was to what? Is to go and to preach, right? Like, that's their mission, is to go and preach. Actually, like, we're going back to the example of his eminence. He doesn't even have a home, right? Like, he is literally going from one church, flying to another church, flying to another church, flying to another, and he does that perpetually. Like, he doesn't even stop. He's just going from church to church to church to church, and he literally doesn't have a home. So, so the purpose of the apostles and these prophets were to go and to preach. So he's saying, if, a, if, a, if this prophet or this teacher is coming and he's staying for you for an extended period of time, then maybe what he's doing is he's just wanting to take advantage of your hospitality. Because when he's staying with you, you're providing for his needs, you're giving him a place to lodge, you're giving him food, you're giving him money, you're giving him all of this, and this is nice. So, so he's enjoying being here with you. But if the purpose of the visit was to preach, if the purpose was to teach, then he can do that in one or two days, teaching the people, and then he's done with his mission there, and then he moves on. So it's very much focused. Actually, it brings to mind what the Lord said to the 70 apostles when he sent them out two by two to go and evangelize to all the places that he himself was about to go to. One of the things he told them is, greet no one along the road. Meaning, be very focused in your mission for evangelism and going to preach to the people. And don't be distracted by, 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 by just um, greeting people in the sense, like, doesn't mean you can't say hi to a person. It means don't be distracted with socializing. Don't be distracted with hospitality. You know, even like when the clergy, when we go and visit people in their homes, um, we, we don't usually uh, eat like a lot of times we're invited to come and eat and to have a meal. Uh, most of the time we don't, right? Because this is a distraction. Because what is our focus? Like we enjoy spending time with the people and we want to visit with them. But sometimes the food, it can just be a distraction. That's not the reason we came. Like we appreciate, of course, everyone who wants to offer a meal and food and hospitality. But that's not really the purpose, right? Our purpose is to come and to have a spiritual word, is to get to know the people, is to see how they're doing and so on. So it's the same idea. If this person has a motive where they really want to serve the people, then they come, they serve them, and then they move on to the next group that they also need to serve. And not to be just so um, like happy that people are providing for my needs, so I'm just going to stay there for an extended period of time. So here the Didache is making it clear, okay, that... This is this is the way we differentiate, right? What is the motive of this of this teacher? Okay, um, and even it says when the apostle departs, let him take only enough bread to last until he reaches shelter. Meaning, don't give him more than he needs, right? Why? Because if he is a true apostle, then he is going to go to the next station, his next visit, and he's going to be taken care of there. But if he is a false teacher, then yeah, he's going to try to hoard whatever it is that is you want to give him. Because he is, uh, he, this is this is what he wants. He wants to, to gain for himself. And whoever says in spirit, "Give me money or anything like it," do not listen to him. But if he asks that it be given to others in need, let no one judge him. Okay. 
this is actually applies even now. Like there was once that happened um, several years ago, uh, a situation where there was a man who was posing as a Greek Orthodox bishop. And he came to visit one of the churches, um, one of the Coptic churches. And he came to the church and the priest of that church saw him. And this man posing as this bishop told him the story about how his car broke down and he needed uh, money for gas or food or mechanic or whatever it is, he said. And of course, the priest, believing that this was a bishop, wanted to help in whatever way and gave him money for this. Okay. So it, it, it reminded me, it turned, and then it turned out at the end that it was a fraud. Right. So it, it reminded me of this when someone, when he's saying, if this person is coming and saying, give me money, right? He says, don't believe it. Because again, what is the purpose? But if the person is coming because they are trying to collect, and St. Paul even did this. When he went and visited the churches, he would make a collection. He would collect money so he could give it to the church in Jerusalem. So there was, he wasn't keeping the money for himself. He was not asking for the money for himself, but he was asking for other people. That was another way to d differentiate between who are the true prophets and who are the false prophets. But not everyone who speaks in the Spirit is a prophet, but only if he follows the conduct of the Lord. Accordingly, from their conduct, the false prophet and the true prophet will be known. And every prophet who teaches the truth and fails to do what he teaches is a false prophet. This is very interesting because he's saying not everyone who speaks in the spirit is a prophet. Not everyone who speaks in the spirit is a prophet. But how is it that you will know and differentiate between one and the other? It will depend on their conduct. It will depend on their conduct. And let me give you an example. Some churches... Some of the charismatic churches, they place very, very high emphasis on the idea of speaking in tongues, for instance. And they believe that speaking in tongues is a spiritual gift. And in the early church, it was, right? In the early church, it was a spiritual gift. We don't believe that what people consider speaking in tongues nowadays is an authentically spiritual gift. But let's speak about, let's speak about the real gift, the real gift of speaking in tongues, okay? It is, it is a spiritual gift. It is miraculous. It is given to certain people. Okay, that God had granted in the early church. Okay, so he's saying just because someone has um, speaks in the spirit, let's say they have uh, this spiritual gift or any spiritual gift, just because God has given someone a spiritual gift doesn't mean that that person is using the spiritual gift rightly. Like think about all of us, like all the gifts that God had given us. God gives us intelligence. He gives us gifts of administration. He gives us gifts of teaching. He gives us all kinds of spiritual gifts. Does that mean automatically that because we have received spiritual gifts from God that we use those gifts in the right way? No, maybe we abuse those gifts. Maybe someone has a gift of teaching, but when they stand and they speak eloquently and fervently to the people, their motive is not to teach the truth. Their motive is to gain influence. Their motive is to gain something for themselves, perhaps. So you can have someone who is, is, has been given by God a spiritual gift, but they are misusing that gift. So this is not everyone who speaks in the spirit as a prophet. Don't be um, mesmerized by the spiritual gift. And unfortunately, a lot of people are. When people see a miraculous event happen, it's like people assume because some miraculous thing happened, then that means 100% this is a godly thing. Maybe it is not a godly thing. Actually, Satan can do miracles, right? Satan is also a spirit, and he can do all kinds of miracles. So just because there is some miraculous event happening, we don't immediately jump and say, oh, this has to be from God. Even in the church, sometimes you hear stories about an icon that drips oil. You know, like we hear these stories, icons that drip oil. And of course, this is miraculous because it's not, 
it's, it's, there's no physical explanation. How is it the icon is dripping oil? And a lot of people flock to this as though this is for sure uh, like a, a miracle from God, like this is for sure something good. But the church is more cautious, right? What the church will do is they'll take the icon and they'll put it on the altar and they'll pray liturgies and see if the icon continues to drip oil or not. And if it continues to drip oil, then they'll say, okay, this is from God. If it stops dripping oil, they'll say, maybe this wasn't from God, right? Just because something is miraculous, just because something is done as a spiritual gift, doesn't mean it is good, right? And one of the ways that these false teachers would confuse the people is by using these gifts that they had had, and, and they would use the gifts in a, for their own selfish purpose. Yes. No, and I'll say this. We've heard stories about people who make deals with the devil, for instance. And what do they say? They say, grant me worldly success so that I can, and then I will worship you, or I will give my life for you, or something like that, right? We've heard these stories. When someone makes a deal with the devil and God grants them worldly success, the someone could come and say, uh, worldly success, like you're granting me success in every way. You're making me wealthy. You're doing like, there's good things like that I perceive as good that are happening to me now I'm not trying to say that you know every time good things happen to us we should say oh well, maybe this isn't good but I am trying to say that even if a miraculous thing appears to do good for us okay we don't really know we don't really know um, like when we were studying the series diabolic wars we talked about how the devil has um, a very long time frame in, in getting us to fall. So maybe as the intermediate steps of our fall, there are some positive things that seem to happen, but they're setting us up for a fall later on. Now again, I'm not, I'm not saying this to mean that, okay, like if we're praying and asking God to help us with something and he grants it to us, I'm not saying we should assume that that could be from Satan. I'm, I'm not saying that. But just as a, like if we're, gonna, if we're gonna speak about every possibility, definitely there are things that, like I said, can even be miraculous that are not from him. So we just have to be cautious. That's why also, you know, some people, like, like, let's say something good happens through sin. Like somebody lied, and through the lie, they were able to become very wealthy. And then they conclude, well, God granted me great wealth, and he blessed me with wealth. Well, is it God who is going to bless us with something that is good through sin? No, he's not. So maybe that good thing that I'm thinking maybe came from God actually did not come. Maybe God did not want me to have that wealth. Um, just as a reference, when we in the scripture, when St. Paul is speaking about the gifts of the Spirit, it says, And God has appointed these in the church, first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, after that miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, administrations, varieties of tongues, right? All of these are different gifts of the Spirit. And some of them, yes, we would consider them to be more, um, you know, like miracles, for instance. Right? But some of them are very simple things that are very common, like administration. You know, like many people have the gift of administration, are very organized, and they're able to, to like do that. So again, every gift that God gives can be either used for good or, or, or misused. Um, 
also St. Paul, when speaking to St. Timothy, he says, Now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. Right? That in the latter times, the, there will be people who were once faithful, but they will be deceived. They will be deceived and they will go after this deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. For instance, when the scripture speaks about the Antichrist, right? Who is it that is going to follow the Antichrist? Many of whom believing that he is the Christ. There are people who were believers. They believe that this person is the Christ. They're going to follow after him, but he is actually from Satan. He is the Antichrist. And so, so he's saying, beware. Like, beware. Don't just assume that someone who comes charismatically or doing miracles or these kind of things um, is automatically from God. Chapter 12 is um, rules for travelers. It says, if the one who comes to you is a traveler, help him as much as you can, but he shall not remain with you more than two or three days, unless there is need. But if he wishes to settle among you and is a craftsman, let him work and eat. But if he has no trade, provide according to your conscience, so that no Christian shall live among you idle. But if he does not agree to do this, he is trading on the name of Christ. Beware of such men. So what is he saying? He's saying, like, just someone now is a traveler. Like, he's, this is not a person claiming to be an apostle or a teacher. They're just someone who is a traveler. He says, come, show hospitality to him. Let him stay two or three days. But do not let him abuse you. Right. Do not do not like like provide for his needs. But if he wants to stay longer, then what should he do? He should work. Let him work and eat like let him don't don't just give him indefinite with, without boundary uh, alms and charity. Right. And sometimes we, we 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 have this wrong perception. We think that the right thing to do whenever there is someone is need is to give them without limit. Right. To give them without any kind of limit. We just keep giving and giving and giving. And then after a while, what we're teaching this person is that they cannot rely on themselves, that they don't know how to be independent, that they don't learn how to take care of themselves, which should be the goal. I give to people to help them in a hard time, but not that this is a perpetual, unending thing. No, I help you so you can move to the next step. I help you and I train you and I give you resources so you can grow and you can improve yourself and you can actually learn to make a living for yourself. And so again, here he's saying the church's responsibility is to help, but not if the person is in need of so much help that there is no limit or no end to the help that the church can, can give. Also rules for giving. Every true prophet who desires to settle among you is worthy of his food. Likewise, a true teacher is worthy as a workman of his food. So if someone is, if someone is coming and, and as a teacher and they are a true teacher, right, then this person is worthy of his food because he says, he says what, like that, that, that the teacher is worthy of his wages, right? The apostle is worthy of his wages in, in the ministry. He is, he is eating of the ministry. Like he's going in from place to place. He is serving the people and he is, he is, he's being taken care of through this ministry. Accordingly, take all the first fruits of the wine press and of the harvest of the cattle and of the sheep and give them to the prophets for they are, they are your high priests. But if you have not a prophet, give it to the poor. So who is this? This prophet represents like the church. The church is the one who is teaching the people, who is working for the salvation of the people. So he's saying, take the tithes, take of your first fruits and give it to the kingdom of God. Give it to the church because it is the, the church that is in need. This is why like in the church, we ask for the donations of the people, right? 
the donations of the people are the first fruits of the wine press and of the harvest, meaning the first fruits that the people are earning, just like in this time when there would be a farmer or someone who is a vine dresser who is growing a field of making wine or someone, a farmer who has a harvest, saying the first fruits, like the very first of what comes should come to, um, to the prophet, right? To the one who is serving them, to the one who is giving to them the food, the spiritual food. And if they do not have a prophet, meaning there isn't someone who is there that they need to support, then they can give that same first fruits to the poor because the poor are like representations of Christ, right? Like, like he said, just as when we do to the least of these, we, we are doing it to Christ. So we're giving it to God by giving it to the poor. For the Eucharist, he says, on the Lord's day, after you have come together, break bread and offer the Eucharist having first confessed your offenses so that your sacrifice may be pure. Okay, so the Lord's Day is, is Sunday. After we have come together, break bread. This is the Eucharist, offer the Eucharist, having first confessed your offenses. This is why we say that we need to have confessed our sins. We need to have reconciled with, with others and to be of a clear conscience so that when we come and we partake of the Eucharist, then our sacrifice is pure and that we are benefiting. Now, some people say, well, because I have not confessed, well, because I have not fasted, because I have not done whatever, then when I come to the church, I'm not going to take of communion. But this is the backwards. It, 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 these things are not intended to keep us from taking communion. They're they are intended to encourage us to take communion because communion is the most important thing in, in the life of a Christian. It is union with God. And so because it is so important and so valuable to me as a believer, then whatever it is that I'm asked to do, I'm encouraged to do so that I can be united with Christ in communion. So this should be an encouragement to all of us to confess, an encouragement to all of us to fast, and so on. But let no one who has a quarrel with his neighbor join you until he is reconciled, let your sacrifice be, lest your sacrifice be defiled. For it was said by the Lord in every place, and time, let there be offered to me a clean sacrifice, because I am the great king, and also, and my name is wonderful among the Gentiles. Okay, so there should be no quarrel. There should be nothing against be between us and another person that that we ha that we have done, right? Like there's definitely going to be times where other people are upset with us, and maybe we try to reconcile with them, but in the end, they don't accept our apology. Let's say, this is not saying that if there is anyone in the world who is upset with me, then that means I can't take communion. Because and if that's the case, all of us have someone who's upset with us for some reason, right? This is saying that I have neglected this relationship. I have harmed someone. I have not tried to make amends. I have not tried to make peace. I have not tried to reconcile. I'm refusing to accept responsibility for whatever it is that I have done. Saying then you need to first go and make peace and then you come and offer your sacrifice. You come and you partake of the Eucharist. But if we have tried and done anything that is you know, within our ability, within our power to do, to make peace with others, but they reject it and they continue to be upset with us for whatever reason, that at that point is not my fault. My conscience is clear. I have done all that I can do. And yes, I can come and I can take the Eucharist. In Romans 12, 18, it says this, if it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men meaning there are something within my power that i can do to be at peace to make peace right but there are some things that are beyond my ability that i cannot do 
there's the, in the end, the other person has to want the peace as well. But sometimes we neglect it altogether. Maybe I have situations where I am, um, I've done things that are I'm not proud of, uh, or I've hurt other people, but I'm not willing to kind of um, go and take that step to reconcile. I'm not willing to go and apologize. And at that point, that's when it becomes a problem for me, right? Because I have not done, um, I have not done my part. Also, just as we are called to make peace with others, we also make peace with God. So if I have transgressed the commandments of God and I am not at peace with God, then that's when I go and I confess, right? So the, the, the idea of the Eucharist, and the reason we call it communion, is because it makes us in communion with God and in communion with one another. Because when we all are in communion with God, by, by default, we are also in communion with one another. So if I'm in communion with God and in communion with the people, right, I cannot be in communion with them while there is animosity and hatred between me and another person. Right? So I forgive, I reconcile, I make peace, both with God and with people, and then I can come and partake of the Eucharist. Chapter 15 addresses the selection of the clergy. It says, Elect therefore for yourselves bishops and deacons worthy of the Lord, humble men and not covetous, and faithful and well-tested, for they also serve you in the ministry of the prophets and teachers. Do not therefore despise them, for they are the honored men among you, along with the prophets and teachers. So he's saying the people that you will choose to elevate to become the clergy, bishops and deacons, right, to be worthy of the Lord, they should be humble, right? Because when you place someone in a position of power, you do not want them to use that power um, to, to satisfy their own whims, to satisfy their ego, to satisfy their pride. But you want them to be humble and to work for the good of others, not to have prominence and gain for themselves. Not covetous, not desiring what is another person's. Being faithful, Right? Obviously faithful to Christ, faithful in their service. Also well-tested, meaning anyone really, when you want to place them in a position of authority, in a position of responsibility, you want to choose people who have already demonstrated, maybe with lesser things, that they are faithful, that they are responsible. Just as in the parable of the talents, when the master gave each of the servants a certain number of talents, and when he, when he saw that they were faithful, he then added more to them. Right? And the same is true here. Take those people who are already responsible in the church and elevate them to a higher rank. Okay? Do not therefore despise them, for they are the honored men among you, along with the prophets and teachers. They are the ones who are working again for the salvation of the people. And correct one another, not in anger, but in peace, as you have it in the gospel. And let no one speak with anyone who has harmed his neighbor nor let him be heard until he repents. Again, the idea of reconciliation with others. That was the end of the third part. So as I said, there's three parts. There's a very final word at the end of the Didache, and it is about being watchful um, and in waiting for the end times. Okay, This is chapter 16. This is the last chapter. So he speaks about being vigilant. Be vigilant over your life. Let your lamps not be extinguished or your loins be ungirded, but be prepared for you know not the hour in which the Lord will come. Very, very big emphasis in the scripture and in the early church about being watchful, being alert, always being prepared for the Lord could come at any time. So we are called to always be alert, always be aware, always being having confessed our sins, always partaking of the Eucharist. The, York, the Lord can come at any time. Also, he says, come together frequently. 
and seek what pertains to your souls. For the whole time of your faith will not profit you, unless in the last hour you shall be found perfect. For as lawlessness grows, men will hate one another and persecute one another and betray one another. In Matthew 10, the Lord said, He who endures to the end will be saved. It means that someone, and this is frightening, someone can live their whole life faithful, but at one point they decide to turn away, right? And our judgment will be based on our status at the end. You know, someone once said, it is not he who puts on his armor who is to be praised, but the one who takes it off, right? Meaning when you go to the war, everyone puts on their armor to go to the war and fight. That is not the one who should be praised. The one who should be praised is the one who survives the war so they can go back home and take off the armor again, right? So, so here he's saying the, 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 the one who endures to the end, the one who struggles to the end, this is the one who is who was saved, and this is why we have to be vigilant, right? And this is why also it says come together frequently. Come together frequently means participate together in the body. Be one in the body, whether it be in the liturgy, right? Or, or otherwise, seek what pertains to your souls. Seek what pertains to your souls so that you are secure and that you are not liable to be led astray by the world and the deceptions in the world. For in the last days, false prophets and seducers will increase, and sheep will be turned into wolves, and charity will be changed into hate. Right? The last days, there will be false prophets, false, false teachers, and these teachers don't even have to come under the guise of Christianity. There are many, many, many people in the world today that claim to know what is good for you, to claim to know how you should live. Right? And so many people follow after them, believing all kinds of false doctrines, and being seduced and even the sheep will be turned into wolves right those people who appear to us as being good on our side wanting to do us good but then we discover that they're actually against us they're seeking um, to devour us even charity what is supposed to be given out of love will be turned into hate and you know really if we look at our society today everybody hates everybody like there is no there is no kindness anymore. Everyone is, is filled with hatred, trying to find the smallest thing that anyone has done to point out flaws and mistakes, and 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 th so we can we can call people out and we can show hatred to them and appear as though we are better than them. People will want to manipulate you and seduce you to do what they want. Seducers will increase. Sheep will be turned into wolves. Even those people and institutions that you trusted are will be lying to you. People will no longer treat each other with goodness, kindness, and respect, but will hate one another. And then speaks about the Antichrist. And then will appear the deceiver of the world, as though he were the Son of God, and will work signs and wonders, and the world will be delivered into his hands. The Antichrist is the one, of course, who represents Satan and is a servant of Satan. He will come under the guise of the truth, as though he is Christ, and he will offer solutions he, he, to, to, he, will, he will offer people what they want and what they are looking for. He will do amazing things to deceive, but in the end, he is like the wolf. He looks like a sheep, uh, but he is the wolf. And he will do horrible things which have not been done since the beginning of the world, what it is that the Antichrist will do. Then shall all created men come to the fire of judgment, and many will be scandalized and perish, but those who persevere in their faith will be saved from the curse itself. We, this should not be a moment that frightens us. The judgment, even though it is, it, is, it, is, it is frightening, it's a frightening time, but in Christ, we should feel that 
we will be delivered from this. This is something that, that the Lord will spare us from because in the Lord we have received mercy and salvation. The signs of the end says, and then will appear the signs of the truth. First, the sign of confusion in the heaven. Second, the sign of the sound of the trumpet. The third, the resurrection of the dead. Not the resurrection of all men, but as it was said, the Lord will come and all his saints with him. Then shall the world see the Lord coming on the clouds. So this is all referring to things that are going to happen in the end days based on what is in Matthew 24. The signs of confusion, the sign of the sound of the trumpet, the, the resurrection from the dead. These three things. Where is this mentioned? Here in chapter 24 of the Gospel of Matthew. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened. The moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from heaven. The powers of heavens will be shaken. Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven. And then all the tribes of the earth will mourn. And they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great, great glory. So what is the sound of the trumpet, right? This sound of the trumpet is the sound that the angels will make at the coming of Christ. He will send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet in heaven at the last days. So at the very last, at the end of the world, we will hear the trumpet and we will see the Lord Christ in the sky. And the resurrection of the dead, they will gather together his elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. And at that point, at the end of the world, all of those who have died will be resurrected from the dead and come and join the Christ um, in heaven. So again, this is the Didache. The Didache was, had those three sections and then this last section um, uh, specifically about um, the end times. So it's a, it's, it's a very beautiful book because it's very simple. It's very easy to read and has a lot of um, great insights in it. And glory be to God forever. Amen. Let's uh, pray. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. We thank you, O Lord, for this day. We ask for your blessing. We ask, O God, that you lead us to the way everlasting, and you help us to remain vigilant in our lives. Focus, O Lord, on day by day what is it that we should do, and to, to benefit from all of the all of the tools of salvation that you have given us in the church and in every place, O Lord, know that you are present with us. Lead us, O Lord, and help us and guide us from being deceived. Through the prayers of St. Mary, Archangel Michael, St. Paul, St. Mark, and all your saints, hear us as we pray thankfully. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. The love of God the Father, the grace of the only begotten Son, our Lord God and Savior Jesus Christ, the communion, the gift of the Holy Spirit, be with you all. Go in peace. The peace of the Lord be with you all. Amen.